Attention, please. Places for top of show. Places for top of show. Hello, and welcome to Twins Talk Theater. We are Cindy and Stacy, and we're talking about theater, backstage life, and all the excitement that the audience doesn't get to see. Enjoy the show. Welcome to our new podcast. Today we have Andrew Owsley on, which uh, I've already posted tons of pictures on last year. But anyways, we officially met in October of 2018 when we did Scenes from Frankenstein and Telltale Heart. I didn't really get to know him until last year, though, when we did Dido and Aeneas in the catacombs, which is where all of the pictures are from. He's the founder and president of Unison Media, which focuses on publicity, PR, promotions in a holistic manner, but also the mastermind behind producer-presenter of Crypt Sessions and Angel Share, which are the concerts that I do in the catacombs, or sorry, in Greenwood Cemetery, and in a church up in Harlem. So that's really exciting. I'm going to get a business card that says, I do opera in catacombs, because that's what I like. So welcome to our podcast, Andrew. We're so excited to finally get you on and talk to you now that we can get our three schedules together. The pleasure is all mine. Which yeah, the last time I was just it. flown out to New York to uh, work in the catacombs for a week, and then and, and flew back we home. We were going to fly you out again this year, and I then, know, I had you it know. in my calendar and everything. Stupid virus. That we may yet. We may still yet. <laughs> oh, good. We'll just push it back a little bit. So to start, because I've heard a lot of, not a lot, but I've heard talk about it, but how did you get started? Because it wasn't necessarily in PR, was it? Uh, No, I I started, you know, my career in general was in the record business. Um, That was my first job at at, uh, classical label EMI Classics. And uh, I just basically did that for most of my career. I was from there and then I was at Warner Classics and I just did a variety of tasks. I started the week that Tower Records closed and the record business essentially entered free fall collapse. So um, good timing. So I'm no yeah, I'm no stranger to uh to seismic change in industries, but uh and yeah and I just kind of kept amassing different roles and experiences and responsibilities. And um, by the end of it, I was basically doing everything. And I figured I would rather do do that for myself and not be tied to records uh, and um, an industry that was relatively sort of plateaued at that point. Um, so I started Unison with the goal of kind of trying to build a better uh, conversation around classical music, trying to change how it was promoted and um, sort of the momentum that was built around it and try to make it a little fresher, a little more um, contemporary and and compelling to a broader audience than just the converted of classical music. And so that was, that was about five years ago, almost five years ago. And, um, and then, uh, but, Sort of shortly into the first year of Unison, uh, a friend of mine, I was talking about just wanting to you know, try to bring concerts into different venues and then outside of the traditional hall. And a friend of mine on the pop side said he had been to a weird crypt space that I should check out, he said. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> obviously, I did. You don't say no to something like that. And I called the church and eventually got through and eventually got them to give me a site, do, do a site visit with me. And I just thought it was the most amazing space I'd ever been in. Uh, mm-hmm. And I asked them if 
we could do concerts. They were quite hesitant at first, and then I just I said, well, we'll you know, donate the money to you, and anything left over will go to you. And uh, then they were okay with it. Funny how that changes the dynamic. And um, and we've been doing it ever since. And then we expanded the catacombs, and you know, it was initially kind of just something to do for fun. And it's it both the response was amazing, but also just the um, the concerts. Like we just enjoyed the concerts and being in the room so much that it, it felt like it was something special that needed to continue. And, and then the more we did it, the more momentum we gained and the more sort of interest we got from the industry, from media. And, and then the catacombs kind of took it all to another level. And uh, so, yeah, that's kind of been the, it's been the roller coaster ride in, in a nutshell. <laughs> that's the traje- trajectory. Did you know in the catacombs that it would sound like it sounds? Like, did you bring anybody in for kind of test runs or was it the first concert you actually did there where you're like oh my gosh this sounds amazing i mean the yeah the the acoustic you can tell you can tell the second you walk in there that it's going to be an amazing acoustic we we did experiment i brought a few string players in to test how the resonance spread outwards up and down the tunnel and how mm-hmm. it's depending on where you were facing um and so that and and it was it, it was kind of surprising how well it bounced off the walls um, if you're you know facing the other direction and then uh, the singer is facing the wall and you're at the other end of the catacomb. There's still quite a lot of, of both volume and clarity. Um, and so you know at that point it was I felt pretty confident that we could make some cool cool stuff happen in there, and we did. And and we have and we will continue to do so because it'll be fun what (laughs) i have a question that i've actually always wanted to know because you have a relationship with yamaha pianos Mm -hmm. who have lent us pianos when we're at the catacombs and and at the crypt how did that start and how do you get the pianos downstairs at the crypt because it's such a steep (laughs) steep stairs and it's all (laughs) stone and concrete and every time i go down there and see a piano or a, a a harp i'm like how the hell did this happen um, it started, I mean, I've known the folks at Yamaha, they're just, they're wonderful. Um, they're great, great people, very forward thinking and just kind of awesome human beings. And I've been working, I've worked with them sort of tangentially over on, on projects, uh, for several years. And I, you know, I told them about this and I said, Hey, you know, we want to do some stuff with pianos, uh, and pianists. Um, and we, there, the piano in there is this really crappy one. Would you be interested in potentially like sponsoring the first season? And they were like, yeah, let's do it. Uh, they just kind of said yes, and and that was easy. How you get the piano down there is not easy. <laughs> quite a few very strong, strong people uh, shouldering it down. They they laid all the stairs with um, with with padding, and then they literally just shoulder the piano down into the crypt. Wow! Uh, and then shoulder it back up and. It's it's okay. I mean, it's still ridiculous, but it's okay when it's you know the smaller ones. But one of our first our first concert with Yamaha, we had a nine foot CFX piano, which was wow. ridiculous. And then our third concert with Yamaha in the crypt, we had two pianos with the nine. <laughs> so attacked that relationship pretty hard early on, and boundaries, and they continued to just be awesome, and have continued to, and they just you know. 
whatever we need, they they provide it and with a smile. And we are just, I mean, we would not, the series would not really exist without them, frankly, because mm-hmm. we'd have to pay, you know, pay for a piano for every concert, then we, we probably wouldn't have done it. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah. We even at the catacombs because we had a, a keyboard there from them for what two weeks straight. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which yeah would have cost quite a bit in order yeah. to do and that. They did the first season. They brought in two of the catacombs for the Mountain Twins. They brought in you know for the first opera we did the Rose Elf for a couple weeks. Um, yeah, they they're just they're amazing. Well, next time I'm at the crypt, I'm gonna have to take a picture of the how steep the stairs are. Usually, I take a picture you know standing on the stairs looking down into the crypt, but. I'll do a reverse one so that people can see how steep it is because it's yeah it's, it's pretty crazy. It's ridiculous. Yeah. How did you get the idea to do the the food and the drinks and everything beforehand? Was it just to kind of create an entire experience? Yeah, I mean that's just part of my general philosophy, I guess you could say. Is I, I think classical music itself is fantastic, but the experience around concert going is is oftentimes more often than not not fantastic and mm-hmm. to me it's um it's just it, it doesn't feel like it, like an evening like an integrated evening it's you know you have to go and grab you know rush to get to the hall and then you maybe grab a crappy you know overpriced smoked salmon sandwich for like 50 bucks and then you you know sit in the darkened hall for three hours two and a half three hours um and even with the greatest artists in the world performing the greatest music ever written, it's just not my ideal way to spend a night, frankly, um, nine times out of 10. And so to me, part of the, you know, the whole idea of the crypt and the catacombs and everything we do is to try to create a larger experience around the music, um, both to, to augment the musical experience for people by sort of preparing them for it easing their mind, um, opening their aesthetic senses, and, and then bringing them into a sort of transformative, transformative space for a focused and hopefully emotionally very intense musical experience. And then a kind of release from that, particularly with the catacombs where there's the walk back, but, but in the crypt, just the kind of release back um, out from the church through the, through the cloister. And, um, and that's, you know, that's very conscientious to me. I mean, it's something that I, I, I just think is a much more engaging way to experience music. And particularly also for people who have never been to a classical music concert, of which you know, we have quite a few in any given shows, um, because it removes some of the, the intimidating elements of the ritual that they might not be privy to. And mm-hmm. everything about death of classical, the way that I write the copy the way that I sort of structure the, the concerts and the events is to be to try to strike a balance between being an amazing experience for somebody who's been to a thousand classical music concerts and an equally amazing if different experience for somebody who's never been uh, and so that's to me is the bar because you know I didn't start I never played a classical instrument I didn't it's not it, not where I sort of began my life and very few of my friends, you know, give a damn about classical music. And so if I can get them excited about what we're doing, um, that's kind of the goal, while also not sort of turning off the people who are already converted to the art form. To me, that feels like the best way forward for the art form. 
as a whole. Yeah. It's always amazing to me. I don't get to talk to them too much at the catacombs because usually I'm I'm backstage more or less. But at the crypt, especially upstairs doing the food and drink, as I almost always get to talk to quite a few of the people as they come by and grab cheese and ask me what kind of cheese they are, which I never know. Uh, but <laughs> every time there's like three or four at least that say that this is the first time that they'd been there. It's one of the first times they'd come to the concert uh, and that they're, it's just something completely brand new to them. And afterwards, I always try to find those specific people and ask them what they thought of it afterwards. And they're always so excited about it and want to come again. And then there's also those people, there's this one lady especially that comes to like every single one of them and she just loves it. And so every time I talk to her about it and she's so excited. And so it is cool to see the the two separate sides. Yeah. I guess in the, the catacombs too, on the series that I'm not like backstage on. Um, just the people walking in and instantly pull out their cameras and start taking pictures of the catacombs or the outside of the catacombs or the walk to the catacombs, which is... Yeah, it's, you know, it, it's creating a, a visual, but not kind of a fully integrated sensory experience. And, and you know, I'm well aware that these are also just two very cool looking spaces, especially how, we, how you guys set them up. I think I only took maybe 500 pictures that week. Inside, outside, <laughs> lights, you staring at lights, raining, porta potties, squirrels <laughs> running around, getting lost in the drive. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, but I, I realized that, you know, that's a big part of it and it represents, it's well represented visually. But, you know, I also am very aware that that could be a gimmick and, mm. and could, like we could, we could put on just total crap music by crap musicians and it would still we'd still sell out because you know i know how to do marketing and publicity and it's a cool space and we right. create a really cool vibe around it but you know to me and there are plenty of people that do that including that stupid secret nyc series that's ripped us off wholesale um <laughs> i don't know that one i'm gonna have to look it up they she interviewed me uh because they have an the secret nyc has like its own uh, editorial outlet and then they have they also sort of produce events that they then use their editorial outlet to sell tickets mm. to mm-hmm. and someone from there reached out to interview me and talk about it and I you know I did I was like they were like how did this happen how did you build this up and then instead of publishing an article they just started their own really really <laughs> profoundly crappy series in churches where they just have the the LED candles and like D to F level artists from like you know flunked out of conservatory come and play like a crappy rendition of Vivaldi's Four Seasons for piano and violin, and that's it. And they just promote they they promoted the hell out of it on Facebook and Instagram ads. And it's I, I actually called her up and I was like, you should you should feel bad. Yeah. <laughs> when you go to sleep at night, you should feel bad because you took something good and you've not just cheapened it, but you do you make your money if you got to. Um, but well, I mean, I guess that says something about PR and marketing. If you could sell something like that, you know, yeah, well, it's you know, we, I mean, shows you'll see we, how long it lasts, <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah, right? But uh, but yeah, I, I realized that we could easily do that, and but I feel I take very a very deep responsibility for making sure that the music is as tremendously world class as we can possibly make it because mm-hmm. if you come to your first concert ever and it's amazing 
then you're going to be a lot more likely to be converted to the art form than if you go to one of these crappy candlelight things. Um, so, yeah. so that to me is very important. And just you know, from a integrity standpoint, you know, as much as high a level of quality as we possibly can. And I think you do that. Like, it's wonderful that we have rehearsals before all of them, especially the even one night things, you know, there's rehearsals and a lot of feedback, especially in, in the two venues we work in with the res with how it sounds and the echo and you know if you step two more feet forward then it, it sounds completely different especially in the catacombs so it's yeah. it's cool we take great care and we get pretty amazing reviews for what we do so yeah. when you started this a few years ago did you think it would take off as much as it has uh no i mean i was just kind of doing it <laughs> you know, like after, i think after the first season after we got you know all these huge write-ups i was like oh this is pretty cool. We should, <laughs> we should probably do more with this. <laughs> and, I mean, I think I think of that, you know, all the time. We and this is part of the reason to form a nonprofit and starting to expand. Um, you know, the personnel is like we can do so much more with this. And you know, I'm, I'm in some ways hamstrung by the fact that I have uh, you know an entire other business that I run that you know, is doing very well. But mm -hmm. a lot of my time. And so, you know, in some ways, I'm kind of grateful for this pandemic situation because it's allowing me to kind of, in a more fluid environment, restructure things the way that I want them to be in terms of the balance between my business, uh, you know, my, my unison business, and then Deputy Classical. So I can have a bit more, um, a bit more of an even split between the two. Mm hmm. Yeah, we've so. talked about that too, how, yeah, the pandemic sucks, but a lot of people are using this time to reorganize and restructure businesses and figure, you know, uh, where I'm at right now, we've spent weeks cleaning, organizing, inventorying, putting all of our documents in order. So when we start up again and get busy again, everything's hopefully running smoothly and good. <laughs> it's the plan. Yeah, I mean, it, I think it depends on the business, but uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, some are going to be just catastrophically ruined. But uh, you know, we're we're good. I mean, we're 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 good without restructuring in a lot of ways. Just it's you know, kind of lucky, luckily positioned. But um, but it is nice that it just the sort of slow pace in general allows me to to really take take the time I need whilst without sort of compromising. The work that we're doing in that moment right well because you hardly ever slow down i think you slow down less than i slow down which is impressive i did not slow down yeah yeah exactly <laughs> I, I, need to. I need to i'm trying to. i'm getting, making a conscious effort 2020 to uh to balance my life a little more um and that's you know that's an important part of you know what i'm trying to restructure here as well but uh yeah it's exciting i mean it's been exciting to watch um you know watch Death of Classical grow into something crazy and, you know, watch Unison grow as well. And the artists that we have there working with artists that I, you know, would have never dreamed we, we have as clients, like, you know, Wilton Rosales and Gustavo Dudamel, Joshua Bell, they're amazing too. So, mm -hmm. but yeah, we're, uh, but, but yeah, balance. It's all balance. <laughs> Trying to find Cindy. the balance. Indeed. Indeed. With Unison Media, when you started, how many clients did you have? Like, did it take off very fast or did you have to, I guess I just don't know how PR works. Do you really, do you go to people and say, Hey, we can help you at least in the beginning or do they just kind of like 
come in being like, we know we're good musicians, but we have no idea how to market ourselves. Yeah, I'm, I'm an unusual one in that regard since I left Warner, but I, I somehow through my silver tongue convinced them to, <laughs> <laughs> I convinced them to restructure around me as a, as a consultant, as an as a indie publicist. So they became, and they agreed blessedly, uh, and so they became a huge initial client for us. And then, um, and I had, because I you know, worked with so many artists, some of their artists and several others that I just knew from the industry, um, all kind of went, as soon as I started saying that I was going to start my own company, they all wanted, you know, they wanted to get just in. Came over. I, I started yeah. with a full roster and I never had that kind of like, you know, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and ramen phase of, of PR where you're scrambling <laughs> to get anybody to pay you any money when mm-hmm. most people start, started a sort of independent publicity company. And, and we've never, I mean, we've never solicited a client in five years. Like I've never gone to somebody. It's always people coming to us and it's so, so it's unusual in that regard, but, um, but it's much better. <laughs> <laughs> it does make life much easier. Yeah. When you started, did you start with, websites and all of that or did you start on a smaller scale i mean yes we we started with every it's it's always been about everything to me. every yeah because <laughs> it's that's what i did knew how to do and, and i sort of developed this very hugely varied and kind of bizarre skill set of being able to do publicity and marketing and radio promotion but also build websites do design work shoot an edit video um, run social media. And so, you know, to me, the, the vision was and continues to be for Unison to be, be this unified um, approach to that where we control and, and um, direct strategically all of everything that is public facing for an artist and unify it around a, a single sort of story, brand story that, and, and, points that we we determine and um so that it is ultimately a much more impactful means of, of promotion and um and then and, and and so obviously i don't do all of those things for everybody now but i have you know staff who do that with you know, with my guidance and direction but but it it has always been from the start that idea of how to take these disparate threads and connect them in a more impactful way and that's and death of classical is an outgrowth of that philosophy as well in that you know we were you know doing the artistic administration the website design the marketing social media publicity um you know, production every every aspect of it for the first few concerts i did because i wanted to know how to do it and i wanted to try to determine what i thought was the best way to do it for the vision that I had for this these series and this concert experience. And, um, but then obviously as it grew, it became necessary to find talent like yourselves to help. <laughs> but, but people who could understand that vision and help, you know, realize it in a better way than I could, because you will always know more about production than I ever will. So, <laughs> but to me, it always has to grow out of, you know, my own understanding of something and my own experience being, you know, trying to be good at something. something. Well, I have to say you learned a lot about light so far. <laughs> You're the one that, that you got, <laughs> we had, a, I don't remember, we had a few just like up lights that we would set up in the crypt. And then Andrew talked to somebody and now we have these awesome that like 
pieces of wood that like slide into the columns that have magnets on them. And then we have little individual lights that we can like focus to have spotlights on people. Um, and they're controlled. So he like one time sat in the audience and then at the very end, like turned off all the lights in the middle of the of the concert to just have this like one cool look on the, the pianist. It was, it was very awesome. Um, I, so Andrew's learning one, a lot about lights. I'm not <laughs> one to pass up an opportunity for theatricality. That's for sure. <laughs> so did, uh, you knew PR and all of that stuff and you decide I'm going to put on a concert. How... How much did you know about actually producing a concert or an event or anything like that? Or is it kind of like trial by fire? Pretty much nothing. I mean, I knew what I, <laughs> <laughs> I knew what I wanted the experience to be. And, you know, so, you know, I had the vision was there and it was simply a matter of how, what does it take to realize that vision? And, um, relentlessly pursuing that through any difficulties or any sort of challenges. And I remember one of the first concerts we did was with this, you know, world-class pianist playing Fox Goldberg Variations. That was on the nine-foot piano. And, you know, he said, uh, he, he came to this place and he's like, it's you know, French. He's like, it's very reverberant. It's too reverberant for me. We must have, I was like, it's stone walls. I don't know exactly what we're going to do, boss. He was like, no, it's too much. We need less. And so, you know, I found a pipe and drape company and, you know, got them to, on a discount, give us some pipe and drape and uh, learned how to set that up behind the <laughs> piano and around the piano. And so the first concert had these sort of drapes around the corners of the room uh, huh. that absorbed the sound. And, you know, we got every, every, carpet that we could and I bought some some foam mufflers that we put under the piano and and it was great and with people who was like and then after the concert he was like actually this was a little bit too dry like shut your mouth but yeah and so you know that's that's and that's how it has been since then even with people helping it's just you know I, I understand what I want the experience to be and the expression, the artistic expression to be, and it's just a matter of finding the right people to uh, to make it make it manifest, and, uh, whether they be the artist or, or the people helping with the execution. So, I remember after I'm pretty sure it was after Frankenstein, um, and Andrew came up to me and he was like, "So we're thinking of making this like a." a bigger thing, an annual thing. And he was like, can you come on board? And I was like, sure. What do you need me to do? And he was like, I have no idea because I don't know what you do, but I think I need you. I just don't know <laughs> what it is for. And I was like, uh, okay, that sounds great. Cool. Yeah, I, think but, I remember that phone call. <laughs> but it was awesome because at least you know that you don't know, you know, as opposed to people who like pretend that they know what's going on and then they just make themselves look foolish or upset me and I don't want to work with them anymore so at least you're like I don't know but it worked so let's just keep doing it um, yeah yeah to me it's it's a combination of always you know always learning realizing there's always more to learn and but also trying to find people who are um you know who are very very good and you know 
I didn't know exactly what you were doing, but I knew that Frankenstein was way, way easier and more smoothly run than uh, than the first opera we did and where we did not have you. And, and I figured that was pretty much due to you. So, and I was right. Hey! <laughs> and now it keeps working. Now you're yep. stuck with her. Yep. It's true. It's true. It's no, very, very true. <laughs> I love the le- <laughs> I love the learning aspect because that's exactly how I feel about so much of this because I wasn't we didn't come from a classical music background you know we listened to rock and roll growing up and so there's so many things that I don't know about classical music or don't know about musicians and so just learning about it, catacombs and crypts like the fact that it's moist in there and so string instruments have a hard time playing you know and it's better if they use what is it, metal strings as opposed to um, gut strings, you know, which was was difficult for my Teatro Novo people because we were playing on gut strings in the morning and afternoon and then driving down to the to the catacombs and they didn't have time to like switch over strings or anything, you know, but stuff like that that I had no idea about. So it's so awesome to learn about all of these yeah. things. Yeah. And that you could run a lot of lights off of, off of a generator exactly. and how to start a generator and how to fill it up. Like I've learned so much at the catacombs. I mean- <laughs> You know, to me, it's 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 always a lot more fun to try to forge a new pathway and, and yeah. lead rather than just follow because a you know it's more exciting and b mm-hmm. you just you learn you learn through mistakes you learn through um, just experimentation and you know life life is about learning and growing and using that education to give something and that's what we do. Everyone uses the um, kind of catchphrase, you need to think outside the box. Um, and I don't think they really know what that means unless they work in a catacombs or if they work in a warehouse, you know, because... People who say that, who say that do not work outside the box. Yeah, exactly. No. They have no idea what they're saying, but it's just this catchphrase, you know, that sounds cool. And so everybody says it. And I'm like, yeah, I think I think you need to come hang out with me for a while because... <laughs> yeah. Or come, you know, come see a, a concert over here because it's... It's completely different than what I think you think it means. Yeah. Hey, can you make these flowers appear? But we can't drill into the wall because it's a catacomb. Oh, and you can't use tape because it doesn't stick to anything. Oh, and (laughs) actors have to do it. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'll find Home Depot, see what I can do. (laughs) Police, we got it. Yeah, it worked. (laughs) Alec was happy. It's good. No, it is. uh, It is. There is never a dull moment. That's for sure. Oh, that is for sure. Yeah, no, it was, it was an exciting week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> being stagnant. We'll never be accused of getting lazy. I, I, I will never get lazy. <laughs> That's for sure. As much as my husband tries to get me to slow down, I'm like, nope, nope, got to keep going. Can't, can't lose focus. <laughs> uh, I have a question about, so Cindy brought up that we weren't classically trained or anything. In fact, uh, we listened to classic rock growing up in country. Why did you grow up listening to classical music? Like, why did you choose to go into classical music? Um, you know, I mean, I grew up playing in rock bands and, and uh, listening to, you know, I started with hip hop and then I moved to classic rock and then, you know, metal phase and then, you know, everything from there. And classical music, I kind of came to last, to be honest. And my mother was an opera singer. Uh, my late mother, she, at an amateur level, and I never, she never sang, you know, she stopped when she had my brother and I. Um, 
but and so and my you know obviously my father my father was an Episcopal priest so I grew up listening to hearing church music but I never it never really hit me that hard until um until like I, I went to college and I took a random course on classical music. It was like my eighth choice and I got stuck with it. And, uh, <laughs> and, and it was on Mozart. And uh, the professor is to this day a dear friend and one of the best professors I've ever had. And he, yeah, I just fell in love with the music and I took every course I could. Learn. And um, I, did, I majored in philosophy, but I took a lot of music courses. And then I did a fellowship after I graduated um, where they funded project from uh, I came up with in Europe studying classical music and culture and um, and yeah I just I fell in love with it and I still listen to all genres but you know to me there was something a uh, sort of an emotional profundity and and impactfulness to it that I had never experienced in in as sustained and direct a way I mean you listen you know a, three-minute pop song can be very moving and very affecting, but, you know, listening to an 18-minute Beethoven string quartet slow movement and being moved for 18 minutes is just an extraordinary thing um, and, and sort of a life-changing moment where, where the sort of the depth of emotion that was could be found in this music um, was extraordinary to me. And... And and so that was that was sort of what what drew me to it, um, and and the timelessness of it, the, the the fact that this music composed hundreds of years ago by people with almost no sort of material shared experience to my own could say something that is so un, unquestionably direct and and relevant to my life and my life experience. Um, the kind of timeless elements of the human experience and that those could be expressed through notes on a page and you know that string on the violin is, is amazing to me and still will always be amazing to me um and and the intimate sort of the intimate experience of of that music i got to because my mother you know still moved knew a lot of musicians i got to attend sort of smaller scale concerts and watching the musicians struggle to make the music the difficulties of it and watching an opera singer you know feeling the air move when they make when they produce sound because you're so close to them is amazing it is just so visceral and that's one of the reasons why all of our concerts are small because i think that is so important to to feel that presence uh that that and that the production of this music which is so hard so so that's how I kind of came to it. And then, you know, I started in the classical business because I just, you know, I wanted to. Um, my favorite opera singer is Maria Callas. That was thanks to my mother. She introduced me to her and, you know, EMI had um, had her complete catalog. And so I just applied for the job there. And, uh, and yeah, in the classical music industry, generally people are a little more, they're in it for the right reasons more often than not. It's not like pop where you get people who are all about the money or who are just kind of jerks. Um, but, uh, you know, Generally, most of the people in classical music are well-intentioned and are relatively mm -hmm. decent people to work with, which is not the case in my experience in the pop world. So, mm -hmm. yeah. I was going to say a similar thing to what you said about watching the musicians and seeing them. I would much rather go to a concert than necessarily listening to it, you know, on the radio. 
because then I could see the emotions on their face and I could watch them play and just kind of feel the love and the dedication that's coming out of them. And I don't know if it was a first time experience, but I definitely experienced it at Teatro Nuovo with having like 60 of them sitting there and just like watching them play and just watching their faces just makes the music so much more enjoyable to me. And that's what I miss at large concerts is I feel so detached from them because I'm so far away because I'm so used to in the rehearsal hall being like five feet away from the first violins, you know, and that is what I like about death of classical and, and you get to be like right there and you get the full experience of like the full sound and you can watch the singers breathe and watch the musicians breathe and like see their eyes, which you don't necessarily get, you know, on the Met stage because you're so far away. So to yeah. me, it just enhances the whole experience. Yeah. I mean, to me, it, it is, it is a vital, un, you know, inextricable part of the experience that I want to create. And you know, I was talking to somebody about this um, and, and they were saying how, you know, how hard it must be with, for, to not have the live experience, um, the sort of shared experience. And, you know, I, I agreed with them about how, you know, the concerts we create, we try to make, make it like a communion. There is the artist, mm-hmm. the performers, and the, the performed too. The audience, you know, are equals and they share in this communal experience of, of an expression. And when one side is moved, the other is moved. And that, emotional response then further moves the the musician and the musician you know plays more and the audience more and that sort of upward cycle of experience of emotional intensity is i think to me one of the greatest aspects that we've achieved in, in what we do and the concerts we create and you know they were saying how and I, and, and i think that that in person that shared experience of something is is just core to the human to the human emotional need the, the makeup of humanity and i mean i i look every every night from my balcony at 7 p.m and like everybody claps together because we need that so i wonder if during this time and i'm not saying during this time of what's currently happening but during this time of the last like 50 years of what's happened in the world and kind of detaching from so many things if it's even more important now you know because 50 60 years ago in order to experience music you had to actually go watch them play you know and now it's just so easy to turn on a radio turn on your phone turn on your computer and so I think it's kind of more important now than ever to to have that live experience which so few people get absolutely I mean to me it's another part of why and why sort of all of our events have this larger experience around them is mm. it take people out outside of that normal, uh, just in, immediate detachment that people have from from their experiences and the kind of art, you know, artificiality of social media, of you know, digital media, which you know are great, but are not. It's not an in-person experience, and it's not the same thing. It just can't be in live streams and all these things are not the same, but when, and as when you sit and without checking your phone for an hour, just, just share in an experience with the people, a beautiful experience that, you know, there is nothing like that. And I think part of the success that we've had as a series is in, in how the experiences remind people that 
that is what is important. Like it's not important how many likes your post got. You know, mm-hmm. that shared experience with, with people you know, people you don't know. Um, but you know, that when we feel together, it is always more than the sum of its parts. And that it's a one-time thing. You're experiencing it with these people that will never ever happen again, yeah. which is what I love about live theater. Because even if I do the same show a hundred times, you know, it's different every single time, and the audience is different every single time, and it just makes it so much better. It's interesting to hear you talk about getting away from social media and not worrying about the likes, because your whole half of your other job is focusing on those things. It means to an end. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> means, I mean, we, you know, it's, it, to me, it's a hugely powerful and important aspect of contemporary society and the, the mm-hmm. contemporary experience. Um, and when used properly, it can be a very a unifying tool and it can be uh, you know, a powerful means of expression unto itself. But to me, it is not, it is not the end in, in and of itself. It is, it is a means to an end. And whether it be, you know, the artists we work with, you know, their social media, we don't try to turn them into influencers. We want to make sure that their social media helps, helps facilitate people going to hear them make music and experiencing their artistry in the way that it's meant to be experienced at, at, at the peak of it. And all of the marketing, the publicity we do for Death of Classical on the social media all of it is to, to get people to want to come and be in the room and experience it. And when they get there to feel the openness that, that we want them to have so that they, they are just ready to receive that experience in a powerful way. And so, so yeah, I mean, to me, you're, you're, you're right in that there's a bit of a sort of cognitive dissonance there, but, but it's No, I think it's balanced. Yeah. You know, like you were saying, it's you promote this one thing, but then at the same time you try to get people away from it. So it's it's balance. Yeah, yeah it's it's a necessity. It's a necessity for right now, but uh, but the goal is not to live on social media, it's to live in the world. Yeah. Well, currently right now, all we're doing is social media. <laughs> yeah, true. Well, even right now, you two are in New York and I'm in California. I haven't seen it's, Twin in person in months. I haven't seen you in person in a year. Yeah. Technology is amazing. <laughs> yeah. I can sure. argue with that. Technology is a beautiful thing. But uh, but again, like, to me, life is lived in, in the moment, present moment. That's what I was going to say. You, I think what makes you so different than so many PR firms or the way you produce and the way you look at people is that you actually look at the people and that I feel you're less concerned about the likes on Facebook or the money that is coming in or selling something. You are more concerned about the people aspect of it. And you're doing these great live streams on Fridays, uh, which I've listened to two of them. And then I send them to Stacey because she can't listen to them. But your whole focus is on like... The people aspect of it and what makes that person interesting and what makes that person's music interesting, you know, and you're not necessarily trying to sell the person. You're trying to, like, show everybody what's exciting about that person, which I think is so different than how I see so many opera companies run. You know, they're just trying to sell tickets and trying to 
get donations and bring money in, you know, and I always want to be like, well, if you focus on the people and what we're trying to accomplish, I think the rest of it will fall into place. You're just missing that, that vital aspect of it. Yeah. I mean, institutions are more often than not fall prey to inertia and to, Mm -hmm. um, to the kind of path of least resistance. And, you know, that once, once the, the, the system is established for an institution, then it becomes about maintaining the system, not realizing the mission of the institution. And, you know, to me, everything is about the mission and the vision and not the, um, you know, not the structures that are put in place to realize it. And whether that be unison or death of or anything I do, it's, it's about what, what are we giving to the world and the people that we interact with and why should they value that and do they? And if they don't, what, what did we do wrong? Mm-hmm. But you know, everything, I mean, to me, everything in life starts and ends with Yeah. I 100% agree. I think that's why I completely said yes, even though we had no idea what we were getting into because mm-hmm because it was a people aspect, you know, and that's what I love about theater, but especially with Frankenstein, you know, we're in these catacombs, but people were like bringing coffee on a regular basis, or we were helping each other and we were driving each other back and forth. These people that, you know, I had never met before or met once, you know, and everybody all of a sudden came together and, and we're helping each other on a personal level, you know, not just as trying to make this concert happen, but like, making sure we're all taken care of and it's such a personal thing that it makes you want to continue to come back and and continue to work which is whatever you do to me whatever you do you got to do it do it with love and do it with humanity and compassion i love that whether it's in a crypt or (laughs) (laughs) right wherever it is i think that's it's so important it's so wonderful i know we're getting kind of close yeah i think i've got to got to uh gotta head out Feels like a pretty good note to end it on. Yeah, it does. It feels, <laughs> it feels perfect to me. So thank you so much. And I look forward to keep me updated on when we can hang out and perform again. And we're yeah. working on it. Um, we'll, think, we'll move forward. You know, hopefully, hopefully this fall. We'll see. Um, yeah. We'll keep you posted. Though. And awesome. I hear all the skylights were fixed, so I won't get as much rain on me next time I'm yeah. out. I yeah. know how to get to Home oh, Depot. It's going to be great. It's going to yeah, be beautiful. Can. Just to get some electric, you know, electrical infrastructure in there, and then we'll be set with heating, you know. Well, that and bathrooms. Set up will be great. Yeah, bathrooms. Yeah. Great Let's great. go with bathrooms and maybe internet, because I got no internet in that, that building. <laughs> <Yeah>. Underground. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, uh, well, thank you for having me. It's been great, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll we'll talk, talk soon. soon. Take care, okay. guys. Bye. Bye, Andrew. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. For more, visit our website at twinstalktheater.podbean.com and subscribe on iTunes or Google Play Music. You can also interact with us on Facebook or Instagram at twinstalktheater. Title music, Dance Macabre, is provided by Kevin McLeod of incomtech.com under Creative Commons License 3.0.